at, at the risk of seeing steam come out of your ears. Is that a fair simplification? There's no steam first. I would never have steam come out of ears. Just severe <laughs> disappointment that you weren't listening, but that's okay. <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome to MyPrivacy.help with Faris and Gordon. Everything you do online becomes information stored on someone else's computer. We help you reclaim control of your data, your privacy, your life. I'll launch us off since you'll be doing most of the talking. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of MyPrivacy.Help. I am Ferris here with Gordon. And today's a follow-up episode just about self-hosting. Uh, so we did touch on this briefly in a previous episode. And uh, if you're like me, it's probably left you with more questions, which I am going to nail down Gordon for some answers today. Uh, first of all, Gordon, how are you doing? Good, thanks, buddy. Enjoying the wonderful weather that we're having at the moment. Now, I can never tell with you when you're being serious. 90% of the time you're sarcastic. So, was that? No, I am being sarcastic. It's cold okay. and rainy here. Yeah. yeah which no, uh, which is, is like you, too. Yeah, it is angry rain here today. It's like apocalypse now rain. Um, nice. Which, yeah. Which uh, I was a bit worried that we would actually be coming through my microphone and tell how bad it is. Um, anyways, on to self-hosting. Now, in our previous episode, we did discuss the basics of self-hosting. And afterwards, I just had some questions. And the way I figure if I have these questions, our customers, listeners will have these questions as well. So my understanding, Gordon, of self-hosting, and this will be a test if I was listening to another last podcast or not, is every time you go online... What you do is data that is actually stored somewhere. So if you just connect straight to the internet, you are going through a series of cables um, and you're connecting to a supercomputer somewhere in the world and that stores everything that you do from your computer. So every website you go, even sometimes every click of the keyboard, that is information that is stored somewhere. I know these rules are different depending on what region you live in. Uh, Europe is very different to America. Uh, is that, you know, at, at the risk of seeing steam come out of your ears, is that a fair simplification? There's no steam first. I would never have steam come out of ears. Just severe <laughs> disappointment that you weren't listening, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's mostly correct. There's no supercomputering of that nowadays. Even servers and websites run on these sort of um, PC-ish kind of things. But anyway, um, it really depends on what you're doing. Uh, obviously, checking your email using file storage is different to just, say, browsing a website. Um, and there's different data with that as well. You know, just checking YouTube or Twitter or something that um, there's still data flying around about your location, your browser and that kind of stuff. But that's that's more to do with tracking. What you're talking about is, let's say, uh, cloud storage. You, you're uploading some files or whatever to iCloud or, or Dropbox or Google Drive. That is stored on their computer at the end of the day. That is um, out of your control. Your data is being stored by a third party, and who knows who has access to that. 
So in storing your data with a third party, there's two problems. One is privacy, the other security. Privacy in that basically um, someone at said company can basically just have a look at your data. And this has been known to happen where if anyone has access, they can just have a look at, da- at your personal private documents, be it photos and passports and all this kind of stuff. So that's a privacy element, but it's also a security issue because that stuff can get hacked. It can get stolen. And very, very quickly, it's um, stolen on the black market. And I do know that this happens a lot more often than not, doesn't it? That large corporations, ones that we presume are very secure, actually do get hacked. Yeah. As I said in the last episode, one of my first jobs was a database uh administrator and and i had access to everything i had access to personal information including credit cards and home addresses and i wasn't really allowed to or there weren't any rules about it and this data was stored in text files so it wasn't as if you needed a password to access or whatever it's just like text files stored on a server somewhere so i think nowadays things have changed and and for example in the eu they have the gdpr and they have all kinds of data compliance regulation whether a company sticks to that or not is another question. I think the big corporations would probably be beholden to that. So they probably do have internal policies of which employees can access what. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's, um, you know, there's hacking and there's data leaks and most data leaks, and this is surprising perhaps to most people, most data leaks aren't, you know, Russian hackers attacking a website. Most data leaks are internal. So they're actual employees who shouldn't have access to stuff, copying something on a USB or whatever and walking out the building or giving username passwords and access to gangs or, um, you know, the highest bidder on the black market sort of thing. So a lot of the hacks and data leaks aren't, you know, protecting your organization from the outside. It's actually protecting from the inside. So uh, in fairness to large corporations, just to finish off that point, Faris, they do have a lot of policies and procedures around, uh, data compliance, but again, uh, you can't really stop anything. And and to stop an internal hack is extremely difficult because you can have the best technology in the world, firewalls, uh, encryption, usernames, passwords, two-factor authentication, but that's all bypassed if an IT engineer can just walk into the server and with a USB and plug it into the server. So with self-hosting, um, there's two options. One is where basically you have your own um, server or you have your own hardware. And that that is, I know, a lot more difficult for everyday people to set up. But it basically means that your data, because data has to be so- stored somewhere physically. Uh, I know we have these terms of the cloud and everyone just thinks, oh, the data is just floating around through cables. It's not actually stored in any one particular spot. That's not the case. Data has to be stored somewhere. So you can have your own server, and this is a machine that you can run in your garage, um, and it just basically means only you have access to it. Uh, Is that what self-hosting means, or are there other options? Yeah, you can, as you said, have a physical server in your garage. That's preferable because it's something you control. It's something that you can physically access and prevent other people from accessing. There is also a notion of a virtual server. So you can rent a physical server and it's not the cloud, but you rent a physical server from a provider, uh, usually in your continent or your country. And 
they give you access to what is called a virtual private server, VPS. And the reason behind that is that you can do most things from your server at home. So, for example, I've set up a, a lot of things like file storage and VPN and that kind of stuff on my Linux server here. But there are a few things that you can't do. Email is one of them. Uh, ISPs don't allow you to send and receive email on your own server. Um, they make it extremely difficult for you to do that. Um, it are also a couple of other things, but yeah, email is probably the number one thing that you can't really do on your own home server and websites as well. ISPs don't like you hosting your own website. So they, um, they block a particular port, which is just a fancy way of saying access to web servers. So, um, if you wanted to set up a website, at your home and I wanted to set up, you know, gordon.com at home. Uh, I don't know if, if you've ever noticed or people have ever noticed, sometimes you have these funny numbers after websites. So you have, you know, blah, blah, blah.com with a colon, you know, eight zero eight zero or, you know, a number sort of after it. Well, that's what you would have to do if you set up your own website in your garage, um, because you can't use the standard web address, the ISPs block that. So. So this is what I was saying about before, a virtual private server where basically you are renting space to store your files. So how is that more secure than going through, you know, Google or Microsoft? Because aren't you, I mean, isn't there some, you're renting a physical device that someone else has access to? Isn't that, doesn't that just pose the same problems? Yeah, it's that someone else has access to. So. I mean, in theory, and again, this comes down to trust. Who do you trust? Like, if you want to be technical and paranoid and completely absurd, you can say, well, even setting up a server in your garage, you're still, you're still trusting Intel, the CPU manufacturer. You're still trusting Samsung, the hard drive manufacturer. So, you know, how, how deep do you want to go in terms of levels? And, um, we have to be realistic. You know, you're not going to go down to the beach and, grab some sand and start, um, uh, you know, creating your own silicon and make your own CPU chips and stuff like that. You, I mean, you have to start somewhere. You have to trust something. Um, but a virtual private server is better than, say, Google Drive or iCloud or something like that because with those services, you just have access to, like, a platform, you know, through your browser. But with a virtual private server, you actually have access to a virtual private server so you don't have access to the physical server itself, but you have access to, you know, one of the rooms within that server sort of thing, one of the rooms in a hotel, for example. Um, and you're the only one who has the username and passwords to that. So reputable companies who have set this up properly, and there are plenty around, um, even the employees can't access that stuff. You know, they, they still need username and passwords. So while it's not as good as having a physical hardware device PC in your garage, it's pretty close. I like that example of the building, actually. So let's say you're running a hotel, and if you are um, a Google or Microsoft or Amazon, you basically can just open any door to any room in that hotel. Well, with that analogy, (laughs) we, we, we like to beat dead horses with analogies here, but... With that analogy, if Google was the hotel, there are no doors, there are no locks at all. Right. It's just one they have access to everything. Yeah. So a virtual private service, you're renting a, a room in a hotel 
Um, but they can't access that room because only you have the key to unlock that room. That's correct. Yeah. So that's an important distinction. So you have a lock on the room, an employee of that company service uh, can't open the door. Um, you could say that the only risk is they have physical access to that machine, which is true. Employees do have physical access, but if you've set up the, if you've set up the server properly with encryption, even if they got physical access to it, you know, they can't really do anything. So it'd be like stealing a vault that they can't open anyways. Yeah. Okay. That's a good analogy. Yep. Okay. No, look, that makes sense. After our last conversation, I was a moment thing. We're like, well, hang on. Was there a redundancy here? Um, so no, that, that doesn't answer my question. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add, Gordon? That was the main sticking point for me was what was that distinction? But you've, you've done well. Cool oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Elephant stamp, please. <laughs> I, I think, I think the best solution is to have both. So, uh, having, uh, something like in your garage, a self-hosted physical server in your garage to save for file storage. So you've got a large hard drive in it, a couple of gigabytes, use that for file storage. That will also be quicker because, you know, if you're working from home and your laptop, whatever, you've got access to that over your own internal network at home, over your own LAN. And that's going to be a lot quicker. But for something like email, which or website that you can't actually set up at home easily, because uh, ISPs don't want you to do that, a cloud, uh, sorry, a, a cloud, I almost said a dirty word. A virtual private server is, um, is the way to go because you can, you can configure that exactly how you want it. And again, um, the beauty of this is open source. It, we're talking about email and, and um, file storage and websites. There are literally 10,000, maybe 20,000 apps that you can do. So basically every service that you use online, I know people who stream music from their own um, virtual private server or they set up password managers and they do basically accounting software, like basically anything that has this is accessible via web browser you can do self-hosting for a virtual private server yeah that's and that's something uh we'll have another conversation about what's worth doing on a virtual private server or your own server and what is just too inconvenient not to and making that, that distinction so it's another conversation we can have with you um, but thank you, Gordon. That has definitely helped me out with that question. And if people want to find out more, please go to myprivacy.help where Gordon can actually help set you up with your own server or with a virtual private server. Anything else to add, Gordon? No, that's it. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'll do some DIY guides. And as I said before on previous podcasts, I would love for everyone to follow me on YouTube, even though it's it's probably slightly boring and set up their own server, you know, in the garage, they're all five or six year old PC, dust it off, um, download Linux, install Linux and um, get started. I, I understand that's probably not for everyone. They might not have the time, the patience and the technical ability to do that, but I would love for people to do it. So um, I will uh, get started with that. But obviously for people who don't want to do that, yeah, head across to myprivacy.help and contact us and, uh, let us know what you need and we'll be able to help you out. Yeah. Sorry. Just on that note, I want to clarify. There are two options there. One is where uh, Gordon really wants you to set yourself up and basically give the digital world a nice big middle finger, or we can just um, provide options where it's a lot simpler, where we do set you up on a 
virtual private server. And it's a lot simpler for anyone to join in. Like myself, that's the option I would prefer just for convenience and time. The choice is yours. <laughs> Thank you, Gordon. Cheers, Ferris. Thanks, everyone. How long was that, dude? Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit myprivacy.help.